We're going to continue our series through the book of Revelation, and we're in Revelation chapter 5 this morning. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow on, uh, feel welcome. Uh, this is arguably the central chapter of this entire book. Um, in the first words of the book of Revelation, it says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in this chapter, chapter 5, Christ is truly re revealed. And uh, the things that happen in this chapter basically set the stage for the rest of the book of Revelation. So uh, listen carefully with me as I read through chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The word of the Lord. This is an incredible scene. It extends the throne room scene that began in chapter 4 that uh, Chris shared with us last, uh, last Sunday. Um, and in this, uh, I would say the true identity of Christ is revealed. John is weeping because there's no one worthy to open the scroll. And one of the elders says to him in verse 5 uh, that there here is the Lion of Judah, the Root of, of David, the Lion of Judah, of course, is a reference back to Genesis 49, where Judah and the tribe of Judah was blessed as the royal, uh, the royal tribe from which the scepter would never depart. And the root of David, of course, uh, looks back to Isaiah 11 and connects with the Davidic kingdom. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom, and he, is, he reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, but when John opens his eyes he sees not a lamb, not a lion standing there, but a lamb, a lamb uh, who, who was slain, who had the appearance of having been slain. 
Now, um, uh, this is not a, an unusual, unusual reference for, for Jesus. Um, uh, as Sarah sang when we started this morning, you know, behold uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what John the Baptist uh, proclaimed when he saw Jesus uh, walking. Uh, it goes back even further uh, to the book of Isaiah. Uh, we read uh, the eunuch was, was reading Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. And it says as, uh, the lamb, uh, that is, as a lamb that is led to slaughter. Um, and so there's a connection there with the suffering servant. And even further back as the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb, uh, whose blood is shed to save the, the nation of Israel. All these are themes that we're familiar with. But here in the throne room of God, it's, uh, it's startling to see Christ's appearance, not as the glorified son of man in, in Revelation chapter 1 or or the, the Lion of Judah, or the, the Root of, of David, but as a lamb, as a lamb that was slain. Last Sunday was Good Shepherd Sunday, and we talked about uh, Jesus as the shepherd. Jesus said, I'm the Good Shepherd. But here, before the presence of his Father, before the angels and the heavenly hosts, Jesus appears not as a shepherd, but as a lamb. We've talked about Jesus being the fulfillment of the priesthood, uh, high priest after the order of Melchizedek, uh, who is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. But here, he is not sacrificing, he's offering himself as a sacrifice. This is his true identity. Um, at the risk of being uh, somewhat irreverent, um, uh, I'd like to quote a, a monologue from Kill Bill, Volume 2, um, <laughs> where... Uh, Quentin Tarantino puts in the, in the mouth of actor David Carradine uh, a, a memorable monologue about identity, and I'll read just a little bit of it. Now, a staple of the superhero mythology is there's the superhero and there's the alter ego. Batman is actually Bruce Wayne. Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker. When that character wakes up in the morning, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a costume to become Spider-Man, and it's in that characteristic Superman stands alone. Superman didn't become Superman. Superman was born Superman. When Superman wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent. Uh, this is all about identity. Who is Jesus really? Is the cross just something Jesus did? Did he just play a role as the atoning sacrifice, or is this who he really is? Is, is he really the Lamb of God, uh, the, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb, lamb who is slain, or is that, uh, is that more of a costume? No, uh, before the throne of God, this is who Jesus really is. This is his true identity as our atoning sacrifice, as our Savior and Lord. Well, there's some consequences to that. Uh, first of all, um, Jesus doesn't try and hide his suffering and his shame. Uh, that's how he appears before God. That's how he appears before the hosts of heaven. He doesn't hide it. Uh, the signs of his suffering and shame, um, these, uh, uh, these are the symbols of his, of his love for us, uh, a perfect love that casts out all fear. Uh, this is the sign of his victory over sin and death. Uh, it's an eternal proclamation. His suffering and his shame has become his identity. Uh, but we're different, aren't we? 
we don't like to show the signs of our suffering and shame. We like to hide them. But that's not how we're meant to live. Not in this community. The signs of our suffering and shame, the scars, whether they be to our bodies, to our minds, or to our spirits, these are signs of the grace and mercy of God, which lives forever. James 5 says, confess your sins and pray for one another that you may be healed. Yet so often, we try and cover up our scars, hide our wrinkles. That's not how we're to live in community. The lamb who was slain shows us the way. The second point to Christ's true identity is the centrality of the cross. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, I've decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Um, the cross is not a box that we check off um, when we're saved and then we kind of move on uh, to the uh, to the work of living the Christian life. Uh, the cross is, is an everyday thing. Uh, the Christian life really is a continual living out and living into the cross of Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon uh, as he talks about this. Write then the passion of your Lord upon the tablets of your hearts and let none erase the treasured memory. Think of him mainly and chiefly as the sacrifice for sin. Set the atonement in the midst of your minds and let it tinge and color all your thoughts and beliefs. Jesus bleeding and dying in your room and place instead must be to you as the sun in your sky. We must never forget the cross of Christ. That's why every Sunday we come and we, we celebrate communion together to remind ourselves of his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. It's something we can never get over we can never get beyond. And the third feature of Jesus' true identity as the lamb that was slain is this is the basis of his worthiness. Um, in chapter 9, uh, the elders, 24 elders and the four living creatures uh, sing this song of praise. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It is his suffering and death, his, eternal sacri his atoning sacrifice, that is what qualifies him to take the scroll and to open its seals. No one on heaven, no one on earth, and no one under the earth is able to do that except Christ alone. He is worthy, and he is the only one uh, who is worthy. Now, the central focus of this chapter is the Lamb. And uh, the, the Lamb of God should be the focus of our attention throughout the book of Revelation. But the other uh, major focus in this chapter is the scroll, the scroll that's in the right hand of him who sits on the throne, uh, God the Father. This is a scroll that's written within and on back and sealed with seven seals. Now, in, in John's day, uh, they didn't write things in books. They didn't have pieces of paper that they were <coughs> juggling on the left, lectern to uh, try and read. They were in scrolls. And um, if it was an important document, uh, you would roll it up to protect it, and then you might uh, actually seal it with wax on the edges to keep it from opening up. And if it was a, an official document or something important that 
that wax uh, seal might be stamped with the insignia of the official who, who applied it. Now, the Romans, when they had an important will or a testament, maybe of a, a rich person, uh, they would seal it with multiple wax seals, sometimes six or seven seals, and they'd be sealed with the insignia of the execute, uh, executor of that estate, and, and only the executor had the right, had the authority to open those seals and to, and to read the will or testament. And uh, that would have come to John's mind as, as he saw this scroll and its seven seals. Uh, he might also have been reminded of Jan Daniel, the book of Daniel, particularly chapter 12, where uh, Daniel says, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And, and the Lord says to him, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Uh, the consummation of God's plan, redemptive plan uh, for creation has been sealed up until, until the end of time. And so John is waiting for this scroll to be opened, and yet when there's no one there, he weeps because God's plan cannot be consummated until the seals are broken and the scroll is opened. Uh, within this scroll are the mysteries of our destiny as a people and the destiny of this universe. And that's uh, the subject of the rest of this book of Revelation. Uh, the consummation of God's redemptive purposes and creation can only be opened, can only be read, can only be enacted uh, by the Lamb who was slain. Uh, Christ is worthy to judge because he was condemned. Christ is able to conquer because he was victorious over death. Christ is worthy to reign because he came first as a servant. And Christ is able to make all things new because he is the source of light and life. Literally, our future is in the hands of Jesus, uh, the lamb who was slain. If our destiny is in his hands, then our future personally is also in his hands, and that should be a comfort to us. Uh, Jesus not only knows our future, he ordains it and he enacts it. Uh, we can rest secure the world is not spinning out of control with no beginning or end, with no plan or purpose. Uh, we can rest secure uh, that our future is in, is in the hands of, of our loving Lord. Uh, but I'll be honest, it doesn't always uh, feel like that, does it? Um, we live here uh, trapped between the now and the not yet. There are mysteries that haven't been explained. There are pain and suffering that we go through that we don't understand. Uh, <clears throat> we all have our stories. Um, uh, one of mine is uh, in 2003 when my wife Kim was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. Um, we felt like our world was unraveling. We knew that God was on the throne and it was certain in our minds that his good plans and purposes would be worked out. But in the moment, the question was, where is he in our pain and doubt? Um, I love the way the um, songwriter Rich Mullins put it in his song, Hard to Get. What I really need to know is if you who live in eternity hear the prayers of those of us who live in time. We can't see what's ahead and we cannot get free from what we've left behind. God knows what's ahead, but we don't. Does he hear our prayers? And that's the final scene that I want, this final focus I want to 
uh, draw your attention to in this, in this chapter. There's so much here we don't have time to cover. Um, but in chapter, in, in verse 8, uh, the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb. They each hold a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Our prayers, the prayers of the saints, are an instrument of worship. The elders have harps, which they make music before the Lord. They have bowls of incense, which are also an instrument of worship. Our prayers to God are instruments of worship. Our prayers come before the very presence of God in, his, in the throne room of heaven. Um, sometimes um, we feel like we're not getting through. You ever had that experience in prayer? Um, the reality is, is that our prayers do get through. They come into God's presence. They are there before his throne. Um, and um, <clears throat> sometimes we think our prayers don't matter to God. That nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, our prayers, the prayers of the saints are in golden bowls. You don't put things in golden bowls that you don't value. Uh, our prayers are precious, precious to God. Um, even our rambling, confused prayers um, are set in golden bowls before the throne. You know, sometimes we pray about stuff and we don't even know what we're praying about. We're praying about the wrong stuff. Before God's throne, they're beautiful. They're in golden bowls before him. And lastly, our prayers are translated into heaven uh, not as a memo for God to read and not as a voice message for him to listen to, uh, quite honestly, in the throne room of God, there's lots of sights and sounds that would keep, compete for attention um, with anything that was visual or auditory. Uh, but our prayers are translated before the throne of God into a sweet aroma. And as far as we can tell in Scripture, that's the only aroma of heaven, our prayers. There's no competition for God's attention. The sense of smell is closely linked with memory, probably more so than any of the other senses. In addition uh, to being the sense most closely linked to memory, smell is also highly emotive. Uh, aromas, sense, can move us in ways that uh, sights or sounds uh, cannot. Our prayers uh, come before God as a reminder to him of who we are, who we are to him. And our prayers are able to move his heart to act on our behalf, not to do things he doesn't want to do, but to act on our behalf according to his will and in ways that bring glory to him. So he who lives in eternity does hear the prayers of those of us who live in time. We can't see what's ahead, but he does, and he promises to never leave us or forsake us. Amen. Now please uh, stand for the reading of the creed.